reasons to move forward unless you're already forward. It'll just make things better as we go along, uh, for, particularly for any Q&A or anything like that. You'll also see better. Those screens are not that big. It also forces you into fellowship with Christians. I just want to welcome you to this uh, part of our program this afternoon and just say a word about Jack. Uh, some of you have been in the diocese long enough to remember that Jack was a, one of our uh, synod speakers that we were getting going once upon a time. Uh, we welcome him back. Um, we first met, and I was double checking with him because at my age I never remember days, but we first met in Israel in 1995 when he was on a trip with Alan Ross that I joined for uh, a period of time. And, uh, it was kind of an unforgettable time. We, we, I don't think we had more than three or four days together, but, uh, uh, but it was a great privilege to meet him. At that point, he was uh, the young rising star. Um, now he's just a star. <laughs> but, but, um, and then years later, when, when I was on a sabbatical and I was visiting my daughter Sarah in England, I ran into Jack there when he was working on his uh, uh, academic career there. So it's a great joy to have him back. Um, he's had a passion for ministry to students as long as I've known, and I'm sure longer. Uh, and what we're going to be wrestling with today is possibly one of the largest cultural stumbling blocks to ministry among students that we've got. Um, I don't think anything is going to be uh, perfectly resolved today, um, but I do hope that it will move the needle for each of us to get to greater clarity and it's certainly greater compassion for the generation that's coming up. So I, I want to welcome Jack, I want to pray for him, then I'm going to hand it over to Jess for her to say a few words. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the ways in which you have formed Jack, for the things you've taught him, for those who've mentored him and uh, been peers with him in ministry. I thank you for uh, the privilege of long-term relationships. Remind us of the fact that our being in the body of Christ is something that starts here and lasts forever. And I ask your Holy Spirit to be giving him wisdom to know what to share, how to say what you want to communicate. Uh, I pray that we have open hearts, listening ears, ready to receive, ready to have our understanding changed where it's wrong. We pray that as we consider your word and your purposes for your people, as we consider the mission of your church to the next generation, that this would be a fruitful time together. Be glorified in it, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, Jess. Thank you.
In the last two years that I've been working with Bishop Neal directly in this diocese, and for years before that, this has been the issue that keeps coming up. This is what is um, front and center with our youth. Uh, we have people who are calling me and saying, what do I do? A student in my youth just came out to me. Or what do I do? A student just came out to their parents and their parents have basically kicked them out. Um, we have scared teens who know what the Anglican Church has said. They don't know where their home is. They don't want to lose their families. They don't want to lose their faith. The number one reason that this generation leaves the church is because they find it because of hypocrisy. The second and third are the problem of evil and trying to balance science and scripture. So understanding how God made us and what the world is telling them about their identity and their sexuality is conflicting with what the Anglican Church is saying in their minds. And we have to be thinking about how we can pastor these youth and their families and guide them through these conversations. Um, I am very much a believer of transparency and getting things out in front and having these conversations. I'm pretty sure we figured that out from the sexual misconduct trainings <laughs> this year together. Um, so I knew this is something that we needed to tackle when so many students have been sharing these things over the last few years. Um, and everybody I spoke to said, you know who you should get to talk about this? It's Jack Gabick. If you haven't heard him speak, he's amazing. Not to um, put any pressure on you. <laughs> um, but this is such an important topic and we are so grateful that you are willing to spend this time with us. I'm. You know, I'm so thrilled. Jack and I got to spend a little bit of time together up at Trinity a couple weeks ago, and I've gotten to talk to him a little bit about what he's sharing today, and I know that it may cause a reaction, and it may cause you to judge or to think, um, and I would just ask you to keep that in check. I know full well that the enemy wants us to argue and wants us to be confused and not ready when these situations come up. I know full well that this time together right now is already under attack, and that what we're about to do going into our parishes is already under attack. I've asked multiple churches that I knew had intercessory prayer teams to be praying over this. If you have one and I didn't speak to you, ask your teams to be praying about this. Be praying for us right now. Be praying as we head home. Be praying for our youth. Be praying for us. Be praying for those parents because they are not gonna be, they not. They don't know what to say to these students. They need help, you need to pastor them. We need to do this together. So we've got to cover this time and this mission in prayer. And I would ask you to be open to how the Holy Spirit is speaking to you through this and in the time that we have moving forward and to not jump to any reactions. Listen, pray over it. Let's have some ongoing conversation about this in the future as well. Thank you. I'm so glad you're here. Oh. <laughs> I, I start, can, can you hear me okay? I start every class um, with a hymn and a colic that captures the, the theme of the day, so if you would please stand with me as we, as we sing. I don't know if you can see that, but you probably have it memorized. Uh, my rule of life is obey the prayer book, pray the script, no. Pray, pray the prayer book, obey the scriptures, and sing Wesley every day, and you're going to be okay. <laughs> so, if you would. Love divine, and no love's excelling, joy of heaven to earth. 
Um, and um, so I, I want to say I'm not an expert in this topic, but I've walked with a lot of people through it, and it is messy. And um, I've done a fair amount of reading, but I'm not the expert. I'm going to point you to some experts, and I've got some resources that you can look at and sit in and think about. We're not going to resolve this in only a two-hour session. But perhaps we could start a conversation that can continue. I'm also not going to deal with the ethics of it. Edge up onto ethics, and there is an ethical background that you'll hear in some of what I share. But I'm not here as an ethicist. I'm here as a pastor who loves people and, and weeps with people. And um, uh, we're not going to fix society in two hours. Um, we don't have time also to give all the attention to all the topics that we're going to wrestle with. So I'm going to hit some and then draw some general pastoral principles on which we can be thinking about in terms of all this. So I just wanted to share that a little bit as we, uh, as we get started. Um, so uh, I thought it would be helpful to, to establish a couple ground rules um, before we start. Mark Yarhouse, I'll introduce you to him in a little bit, but he is an evangelical Christian who's probably the foremost um, person who studies uh, sexuality, sexual identity, gender, et cetera, et cetera. He has a phrase that runs through all of his books that's really helpful. He talks about convicted civility, that we, can, we should stand in our convictions. We must stand in our convictions. But we also need to pursue civility, because our culture doesn't put up with that very much these days. And so we can hear things and say, oh, I thoroughly disagree. I'm going to commend you into the hands of Jesus. Um, but we come at it from a, a place of conviction. I'm also <coughs> expecting that there'll be honesty in our sharing. We're going to say where we really are uh, in that convicted civility, but no fixing. We're not going to fix each other today. It's just not that easy. We'll leave that to Jesus to do. And no personal attacks, I would ask, because you'll hear things from people, and um, that's kind of the culture we're living in. Personal attack seems to be the order of the day. Let's, let's hold back on personal attacks. Um, uh, are there any others that you would like to see out there that we can discuss? So as far as ground rules, I didn't want to just lay all the ground rules. I thought that was a good starting point. Yeah. Listen to hear. Listen to hear. Thank you. Good. Respect. Respect. Thank you. Good. Thanks. Um, so. I want us to think a little bit before we go into the pastoral stuff. Um, I am a practical. Oh, I, th I thought, did I put music in there? <laughs> uh, uh, I'm, a, I'm a practical theologian, so that is, I, I'm constantly, out of one eye, looking at culture. My, my doctorate is in is cultural studies and theology. So out of one eye, I'm exegeting the culture, and the other eye, I'm exegeting the scripture, and then starting a critical conversation with the idea that we want to maximize and move towards greater faithfulness. So as we think about it, I, I thought I could go, I could start out in the culture, but that's kind of what we all deal with all the time. I thought, let's think deeply, theologically, about humanity uh, for just a couple minutes that might set the tone for our conversation as we go in and look at some of these things. Um, because my perspective is, I think most Americans are pragmatists. We uh, deal with what works, and then we throw a verse of scripture over it and say, that's it. You know, I want us to think deeply theologically, because humanity, I'm of the mind, if we saw ourselves for who God created, 
we would want to fall down and worship each other. Mm-hmm. Humanity is, is just, I think, glorious and was designed by God for glory to reflect his glory. And so let's think a little bit about three stages of, of theology when it comes to humanity. First, there's theological anthropology. Theological anthropology could be Jewish or Christian or Muslim. And it just holds that we're made in the image of God. And the image of God means all sorts of things. I'll I'll show you in just a minute some of the nuance of that. But that God made us like him to be in the world, to reflect in the world what God might be like. So as the rest of creation interacts with us, the intent would be that um, they would get a taste of what God was like, whether they knew it or not, just intuitively. And in that, um, part of being made in the image of God is exercising dominion. Um, But we know that that has been marred deeply by sin. It has been deeply, deeply marred by sin. It's been corrupted by sin. There's not not an aspect of our lives, our minds, our habits, uh, everything that has not been influenced by that. But we can't lose sight of that because it's foundational. St. Thomas Aquinas said, grace builds upon nature. So the rest of what God does is founded in the fact that we are made in his image. Now we turn to Christological anthropology. Christological anthropology holds that Jesus is the ultimate human being. He's the apex of what humanity is. If you read the scriptures, you can't miss it in Colossians. You can't miss it in in Ephesians. You can't miss it in John. You can't miss it in Hebrews. Jesus is the express image of God. And so when you're looking at Jesus, you're looking at what God intended for humanity. Um, He reveals in his incarnation the fullness of what it is to be human. And by his coming, by his living among us, teaching, by his dying, um, and then descent into the dead, and then his rising and ascending, and then the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, we come to the third, which is Christological anthropology. And that is to say that by the Holy Spirit being poured into our hearts, the love of God has been poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit who's been given us, that we are being conformed into the image of Jesus. And we're not there yet. We're not fully human yet. There's a great, there's a great theology that says when Jesus stood before Pilate, this is, this is an, an orthodox theology, when Jesus stood before Pilate, Pilate was actually speaking prophetically, saying, behold, the man. Pilate didn't even know what he was saying. Behold, this is the man. And Jesus on the cross says, it is finished, and goes into the fullness of humanity, and takes our humanity on him, and he says to his father, into your hands. He puts all of humanity, and Jesus dies, and comes back, and a new order is in place. Because he, in the fullness of his humanity, took our humanity and then placed it into his father's hands in the resurrection. And so, We are being conformed to the image of God from the Holy Spirit, by the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. And the reason Christ came wasn't just ho-hum so that I could be forgiven of my sins and get back to work or just go home and have dinner with my wife, but that he might create a new kind of human being, a new way of being human that was not possible because of the fall. That we need to get solidly, squarely placed in our head if we start to think about sexuality. Because part of the made in the image of God is male and female. So, would you give me the next one? 
So if we think about that theological anthropology, the three views on the Imago Dei, the image of God, are the substantive, the relational, and the functional. The substantive is memory and reason. There, there's a certain argument that some theologians say that this is what it is to be human. There are limits to that argument. What do you do with somebody in dementia? What do you do with a baby? You know, but you can't ignore that. The, the next one is the relational. That human relationships with God, with self, with creation, all of that sort of thing. There's, a, there's an element that, like the Trinity, who is an eternal relationship, we are created for a relationship with one another, with God, and with creation for all eternity. And the third is the functional, that is the skills to, to, to exercise dominion, or I like to say stewardship, because we'll come back to exercising sexual stewardship in, in a little bit. But all three of these flow into our humanity, sexually speaking. The substantive, the way we think about sexuality, and what that means 